Hello, fellow theater people. So here it is, our last Kickstarter update, or more like our Kickstarter conclusion, I guess. It's done. It's over. We are completely funded and then some. Thank you so much to everyone who donated to our campaign. For those of you who have rewards coming your way, keep an eye out for an email from me this week letting you know what we're doing on our end to fulfill those rewards. We love you, theater people. Okay, now to the show. Oh, and after the conversation with Mark, stick around for a quick chat we had with Krista Rodriguez, Andy Mientes, and Alex Boniello, all of whom are currently starring in the Deaf West production of Spring Awakening. Hello, fellow theater people. Welcome to the Theater People Podcast. I'm Patrick Hines, your host. So we're doing things a little bit differently today. You know how we'll usually have a guest on the show to talk about their current project, and then we'll go back to the beginning of their career and talk about all the great shows they've done up till now? Well, we're not doing that with today's guest, Mark Kudish. Though we really wanted to. Mark is amazing. He's a three-time Tony nominee for his performances in Thoroughly Modern Millie, Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, and 9 to 5. The thing is, we just didn't have time. And the reason we didn't have time is because Mark is currently co-starring in Hand to God, one of the most interesting, substantive... Yes, I use the word substantive, and provocative shows I've ever seen on Broadway. And we sort of just wanted to talk about that for 40 minutes. On a personal note, I wanted to say that this interview is really special to me. When producer Mike and I saw the show for the first time, we had a difficult time with a particular moment in the beginning of the play. We emailed Mark's PR rep about it, and within minutes, I received the most heartfelt, personal email from Mark himself, asking if we could meet face-to-face and have a conversation about what had unsettled us. He ended the email by saying, The theater is first and foremost about communities sharing different ideas and points of view, even if those ideas and points of view are in conflict with our own. And so we met and had a terrific lunch in the theater district. It should be noted that Mark was deep in previews for Hand to God, but still insisted on meeting us between shows on a Wednesday. We were all nervous, but we loosened up quickly and we talked. After an hour, he invited us back to see the show again, and a few days later we went. And even though we had the same feeling at the same moment, we loved the show. I really, really like Mark Kudish very much. He is all passion and ideas and energy and talent. It gives me such joy to share this episode with you. Here's our conversation. Mark Kudish, thank you so much for coming and doing the Theater People podcast. Yeah, I'm really happy to be here. I feel I was saying to Mike before we started, I feel like we've taken a journey together. Yes, we have, the three of us actually. Yeah. And it's it's one of the coolest experiences I've had doing this podcast, to be honest with you. I appreciate that. I wanted to say that the email that you sent me was so was so lovely to receive and so completely unexpected that you would reach out with concern or just interest in, in why we felt the way we felt about whatever. Um Knowing that, as I do, not being an actor but having friends who are actors, how crazy the the um, preview process is that you would want to take time to to meet with us. Why? Why? Why did you want to meet us? Because I think that one of the things that I find most I hate to use the word precious because that is a terrible word to me in so many ways, except in this one situation. What is so precious to me about the theater is the opportunity that we can share ideas as a community, that it is one of the last bastions where we can talk about the things that are very hard to publicly talk about. Socially unacceptable content is acceptable in the theater. It is the place where we explore the complications of humanity. And if it can't remain that, then there's no point in having it. At least for me, it's why I'm in the theater. I, I 
strangely do not like um I don't like big crowds. I'm not a fan of um of 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 social events. Uh I'm really am a homebody. Um but I am passionate about what I believe in and I believe in the conversation. You know, and you say you're not really an act. I don't care. You're in the theater community. Yeah. And as a community, we have to talk to each other. What happened to the New York community? What happened to the theatrical community? What happened back in the 80s to I Love New York when all the producers and all the shows and everybody got together and created this commercial together to say, hey, come. We have something to give to you, to offer you. Come. This is our community. You know, what happened to that feeling? Because we've, in my opinion, lost it. Lost it for a lot of reasons, um, uh, which we can go into if you want. Because you know what? I say things that get me in trouble and I don't care. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I think maybe – I don't know if it relates directly, but I think one of the things I I was really interested in talking about was your – you know, you've been with this production of Hand to God since um, since its off Broadway run at the since Lucille MCC, yeah. yeah, which was its second incarnation off Broadway, right? Right. Um, so, um, you know, I think it is an interesting thing to talk about. You have this like lengthy, legendary career in the theater. This is your twelfth Broadway show, mm. um, but you made a decision to to take a step back from Broadway and from musicals to really. You know, I read a quote that you said that doing this show makes Broadway feel new again to you. Yes, it does. Does it relate to what you were just saying about you know missing that sense of community and and maybe how, how does this show bring you back to that? Yeah, it does because there's. I love it when people say, oh, there are no writers anymore. Yes, there are. You're just not listening. Mm -hmm. You're just waiting to hear the thing you want to hear for you. Fine. Keep listening. I hope you hear something one day. Meanwhile, the rest of the world is going on with itself. And there is a process. And this is a living thing that we're doing. You know, the theater is a living piece of society, and ultimately, even through history, when we revive a show, it's still alive. The whole point of the word revive is to bring back to life. Mm -hmm. You're not just putting something on a shelf and then looking at it. You're bringing it back to life to see what context it may have now. You know, what does it have to say now? What is the voice of the piece now to then? And... um, I think that the thing that I loved about Hand of God is is that I met this incredible community of uh, a, a young generation of people from the EST theater who are so vibrant and so smart, and it feels like we've gotten over that hump of American idolism where everything was sensationalized and everybody was looking for a flash in the moment and everybody, it was sort of this moment of me, 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 and it's me is enough. You know, me being weird or strange or me behaving really badly is enough to be a star. I don't have to have a talent or execute anything or, quite frankly, care about what anyone else is doing out there. I can just draw attention to me. And what I loved about Hand of God and what I loved about the people that I met there um, was that there was this community that was concerned with wanting to really talk about stuff and uncomfortable stuff. Yeah, yeah. And I think that I hadn't felt that in so long. Not to say that there wasn't interesting projects out there, but I still felt that there was a real focus on the self and the development of things, be that the composer or be that, you know, uh, director or, or producer, that everybody wanted to be the one to claim the fame as opposed to creating a story, a show that was the star. 
that had the voice. And everyone was a collaborative part of that creation, that it was this amoeba coming forward. And I just found that with companies like Second Stage and mm-hmm. companies like EST and companies like The Signature at Pershing. And it just really juiced me because I was getting very bitter. Um, I just was getting very sad about where I felt that theater was going. Like right now, let's just take an example, The Visit. Right. Oh, my God. Okay? Yeah. Now, I worked on the first workshop of that, I want to say, almost 20 years ago, all right? And I loved it then. And I love John and Fred, and I worked with the both of them way, 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 way back on Steel Pier. And, I mean, icons. And these guys are great writers. He's talking about Candor and Eb, you guys. Sorry, 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 sorry. It's okay. I'll fill in the blanks. I'm sorry. I just think... No, please, keep going, keep going. Okay. Don't let me interrupt you. No, I was about to... Anyway. Um, (laughs) But the point is, the visit. Here it is. A little over a decade ago, this this would have been a non-question. And today, everybody wonders, can it make it? Mm -hmm. Can it even exist? And then I say to you... What if Kiss of the Spider Woman was written today? It won the Tony. It was a massive hit. It ran for years. It was wildly successful. And if it was written today, never would it get off its feet. Never. But there's an interesting parallel there to Hand of God, don't you think? I think very much. Because I think – so, you know, at the end of the lunch that you and and Mike and I had a couple weeks ago, you asked us to come back and see it again. And we were just slightly hesitant, which was maybe silly of us. And we came back, and I'm really grateful to you that you asked me – us to come back and see it again. You know, I don't think my feelings about that particular moment have changed. Sure. But I – I love that play so much. I was I had a real experience watching it the second time. And I think I knew that I was going to. I think sure. the first time I, I think I said to you, I know I'm going to like this. I just got I got hung up and I wasn't able to to enjoy it. I think the thing that I realized about Hand to God the second time is that I it's I if I'm going to allow myself to be offended and pissed off, then everybody has to be offended and pissed off because it's it's such a beautiful play with so much to say but some of the sometimes the way that it says it is really hard to take exactly so i think it's a it's an it's an interesting parallel to a show like the visit because i, I was gonna one of the questions i was gonna ask you was it's kind of marketed itself as a show with no stars it's a show which i don't agree with because i think you're a great star but um you know I, how why do you think producers decided to take a chance on a play like hand to god okay kevin mccollum we were talking a little earlier yeah who is one of my favorite guys in this industry, who I've known for years, um, I've worked with before, and I will work with again, is one of the few people that is willing to look through the exterior of, is it commercial? Is it, it, is there the monicum of a safety to make back the money? And I know it's a business, don't get me wrong. You know, a lot of people don't realize, but every Broadway show is a corporation. It's literally a corporation that employs a hundred people at a time. So we're not talking small business. We're actually talking medium-sized business for every Broadway show. You're talking massive revenue nowadays. Mm -hmm. But what I love about Kevin is his passion to want to explore story that he knows can connect with an audience. And sometimes it can be a hard story. But if there's an original voice there 
And he's all for that. He loves the idea of keeping the theater fresh by looking for a fresh voice and throwing it up on the stage so that this thing remains alive and it remains fluid and that we don't get rigid. Because so what? Look, in anything in life, we all want to be able to box something and call it what it is. We all want to be able to categorize things. Be it, you know, you're a leading man and you're a character man. Or this is a, you know, a big comedy. Or this is a... And everybody wants to be able to put it in its box so that they can then go, okay, how do I market this or how do I this or how do I that? Um, and what I love about Kevin is is that he saw the show and he saw what the story really was about. You know, and what our show really is about is family. If ever there's a family show right now on Broadway, this one is it. Now, it's the dysfunction of family. Right, yeah. It's very close to the reality of how a lot of family is today, um, which is what I think makes it exciting and makes it unpredictable, but also makes it very relatable and deeply disturbing because a lot of people can relate to these things. Be the relation be that they go, that's in my family, or I've been treated that way, or, you know, either side of the coin of being embraced or offended. Um, it's very relatable, but at the end of the day, at the core of the story, it's about a family doing their best in hard circumstances to communicate with each other. And if that's not what the theater is, again, I say it. I don't know what we're doing then. Mm -hmm. Just to, to take it out of the abstract a little bit. So the show, the plot of the show is sort of about these kids in a Christian – they're in the basement of a church and they are, they are making puppets to tell the, the, the story of the Lord or whatever. Or just, yeah, I mean, you know, a puppet ministry – is a really big thing right now. Uh -huh. It's been around a while. As a matter of fact, the playwright, Rob Askins, his mother, ran a puppet ministry. Right. So Rob has a very close relationship with this. But I know a lot of people that are on Broadway right now. I was just talking to Chris Hankey, uh -huh. who was like, yep, puppet ministry. I did puppet ministry. Wow. So, like, uh, it's very relatable. And it's also in therapy. You know, puppet therapy is used. Right. It, is, it is a way to express the uncomfortable feelings or to try to express ideas that are hard for people to listen to, but through the puppet, it becomes strangely socially acceptable or embraceable or entertaining, which is why puppet ministry is so very effective in the church. Because you can create stories and characters to talk about a message that people might turn off of the minute they start listening right. to the minister or the pastor. I mean, there's a reason... You know, that Jim Henson has been as wildly successful as he has with The Muppet Show. There's a reason The Muppet Show is coming back onto National Network, but in a more adult fashion. Right. Or even why something like <laughs> Avenue Q is such a revelation. Absolutely. Because they were able to tell deeper, straightforward truths than we could ever get away with. Yeah. Well, and that's a really interesting – so to continue sort of the plot of the, of the story is right. that one of the puppets is uh, inhabited by the character Jason, may or may not be in, possessed by the, possessed devil. By the yeah. devil. And, you know, it's um, – the, the show through that puppet explores a lot of really dark themes. And I'm curious about – you know, you say and you said to me before we met the first time about how, you know, theater should start a conversation. Absolutely. Do you guys do talkbacks or are you are you hearing what the audience is saying back to you? We've never 
on Broadway did talkbacks. When we were at the MCC, we did, and it was a lot of fun. I really do wish, actually, we would do them on Broadway um, just because we're in front of a larger Surprising audience. Surprising that you're not. Yeah, no. And, and I mean, you know, we've been kind of busy lately. Not that I didn't mean to imply no, no, that no, you're no. not working very, very hard. <laughs> no. and, but I hope that, say, after all of, you know, the, 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 the award season and all yeah. of that, that there's actually the opportunity to do it because when we were at the MCC and we would talk back to the audiences, it was wonderful what they got. Different people got different things. As you perceived something from a particular point of view when you saw the play, you're not the only one. A lot of people have that same thing to say to us. There are there are moments in the play that are absolutely and can be offensive. Sure. But let's also say, this is what we were talking about before, that in my opinion, it is a very true reflection of what the society is like where the play is set and what the behavior is like in teenagers where the play is set. The language is very true to form. Obviously, we would like for things to be different, but given where you go in our country, uh, as we know, um, there are going to be certain biases and there are going to be certain prejudices that will exist and exist and exist and exist, and one day it would be nice to think that they would go away, but I don't think so. Um, (laughs) Right, yeah. Anyway, you know, so, I mean, obviously it's about this kid and these kids and this woman who, you know, the pastor has offered the opportunity to run this puppet ministry because she has recently lost her husband. Her husband died from, um, you know, a heart attack from being extremely overweight. And she and, and her son Jason is in the ministry, and he is the one that may or may not be possessed by the devil. Mm-hmm. And, you know, again, it's just that reflection of the repression that kids go through today. And where do they have to express that repression? Right. But then where does the mother, who's now widowed, have to go to express that repression? You know, Can I ask <laughs> you, that actress's name, her name is Geneva Carr? Geneva Carr. She's... Genius. In yeah, this. she's fabulous. What Everybody in our show, because yeah. I want to say Sarah Stiles, of course. Michael Oberholzer, yeah. um, and Steve Super Boyer yeah. and Geneva Carr. Across the board, we are so lucky. Everyone that is in this play is brilliant. It is a joy to go out on that stage every night with a company that is so closely knit and so on the same page about what this play is and what story we're telling. It would be very easy to go off the rails with this play. Tone is everything. And the fact that we stick to that tone, I mean committedly stick to that tone, is what brings the humor and the pathos at the same time. It brings the truth to this play. It's what brings the horror to this play. It's what brings the heartbreak to this play, as well as the wild comedy to this play. But comedy and tragedy, there's a reason that Shakespeare, when he wrote Lear, he put the fool next to Lear almost Mm -hmm. all the time. Next to the deepest tragedy, you had a highest form of comedy because they're not separate. They're, They're very much the same thing. You know, how long can you go? I mean, if you can't laugh, you're going to end up slitting your wrists. Right. And that's a fine line. And yeah. that's what every character in our play is walking. A very fine line. You know, it's, it's interesting because I, w- I was wondering, as a, as a person with 12 Broadway credits under, under your belt, you know, you're working with a lot of first-timers. Not everybody in your, in your company is a first-timer, but the director and the writer are both first-time. On Broadway. On Broadway. That's what I mean. And so, you know, I, I'm curious. How is it to be directed by a, a first-time Broadway okay. director? Okay, no, no. You know what? This is like a really great, wonderful question, and I want to answer this in in a little bit more of an expanded. It's bigger than that to me. 
Um, I also did a show in the fall um, called The Wayside Motor Inn at the Signature Theater. Congratulations on your drama desk. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Now, I bring that up because, again, I worked with a group of people from the EST Theater that I'd never met over at Signature. Our director, Lila Nagbauer, who's nominated uh, for drama desk as yep. well, was afraid to tell us her age. Lila, if, if you hear this, <laughs> don't be embarrassed. Um, and when I found out how absolutely young she is, I was floored because she's one of the best directors I've worked with in the recent past. Maritz is included in that as well. Um, and they know each other because they both came out of the EST. Um, <laughs> but she's so wonderful, so gracious, so smart, so passionate, and yet so collaborative and respected the generational differences, but without feeling like she had to be precious about it. And that production was stunning and spectacular of Pete Gurney's play that he wrote in 77, which was way before its time. Mm -hmm. So how does it feel? Great. Honestly, I would take a very young director over an older director right now because, again, like I said, there's this huge generational leap where the youth now, there's, there's, um, there's just a passion. There's, a, there's, there's, there's an uncomfort. There's, there's, there's a lot that they want to talk about, you know, and it's not focused on themselves. It's focused on the world, and, and, and it's wildly intelligent. I mean, I worked with some young actors in that show. Will Pullen, oh my God, Will Pullen. Um, and then he went and did punk rock. He played my son in Wayside, and then he went and did punk rock, and he played just completely opposite characters. And, I mean, I love him just as a person, uh -huh. but as an actor, I was like, oh my, I was never that good when I was his age. <laughs> and Dave McElwee, you know, and, and Quincy, uh, Dunn Baker, and, I mean, these are the guys that I shared the dressing room with, and Kelly O'Coin, and then John DeVries, yeah. who's, you know, been around forever and um, a great actor and a great man. And there were three generations of men in our dressing room. And that was one of the greatest experiences I'd had in so long. Because literally you had three full generations, but the quality of actor was equal. Uh-huh. So I love it. I loved it. I love working with youth because it's a fresh perspective. And old dogs need to learn new tricks. And that's why I say this is number 12, and it feels just as fresh as number one to me. And I'm so thankful for that. It's so interesting. Do you mind talking a little bit about your, you know, we miss you in musicals. Will you come back? Nobody misses me in musicals. Oh, that's not true. That is not true. Listen, of course, if, there's a, if there is a piece that I relate to, I think... Look, there are a lot of talented people in New York City. I watched Something Rotten. Oh, my God. What a great show. <clears throat> watched it. So much fun. Yeah. All my friends. Yeah. And, again, even McCollum, you know, because he's the producer on that as well, was like, isn't it great to see all of our friends up there like that? And I'm like, yeah, it's great to see that we're still around, that we're still relevant in the theater. Brian and Christian and yeah. Brad and... You know, I you know I could go through the whole list of, of everybody. You know, Brooks. I mean, I, Kate but, Reinders. <clears throat> oh yeah, Heidi and, and, and John. I mean, like everybody. They're the best people to do that material. You're never going to see it more beautifully, smartly, 
um, joyfully performed. You just, it's the best of the best of everything. Yeah. And for, I never for a moment wanted to be on the stage with them. Not for a moment. Because you didn't, well, why? Here's why. There are so many people that are talented in this city. I think that it's very important to know what you truly do have to contribute. Uh huh. Outside of wanting applause or wanting to be famous or any of those things, mm-hmm. which in, in, in all truth, I have no interest in. Um, I know a lot of people be like, oh, bullshit. No, not bullshit. I really don't have any interest in those things. Mm-hmm. Um, I watched people doing that that do it better than me. I think most actors, when they say, I want to be up on that stage, they want to get up there because they think there's something that they could do that they don't think is being done. That's not how I felt. So I watched them and I went, well, that's great. I'm never going to do it better than any of them. And that doesn't mean that I was like, I mean, they're my friends. And I'm like, yay, this is awesome. And I'm proud of all of them. It made me want to go do my show. Right. I love that. Do you know? Because I knew that's where I know I can contribute. That's where I know I have a particular gift or a point of view that is uniquely me. Because talent, there's shitloads of it, mm-hmm. you know? So in terms of a musical, I think if, if it's something that I think I can actually add to the conversation of and offer something that an, maybe someone else won't, not in the way I will. And I love process more than performance anyway. Uh-huh. So for me, it's, it's making a hat where there never was a hat. Of course. And then watching other people take that and run with the ball and go, 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 go. I don't know if I love performing the way that other friends of mine do. I love the theater, but I just don't know if the eight-show week thing, because I'm telling you, when I'm in a show or when I'm in a performance of something, and sometimes I'll get angry at the audience for responding or laughing. And, you know, you've got to watch that. You've got to be real careful about yep. that because I'll be like, why are you laughing? This is serious. Yeah, well, yeah. That is why they're laughing, actually. Um, I remember once I was in a show, and I'm going to be honest now. Uh, not that I'm never I not, was going to say, wait, well. No, but I was doing a show at the Signature Theater. This is very true. I was doing a show at the Signature Theater for Ricky Ann Gordon called uh, Sycamore Trees. It was a beautiful, is a beautiful uh, telling of an autobiography of his family history. And I was playing his dad. And the whole reason that he wrote the show, again, was to come to terms with his dad. And it was me. And it was um, uh, uh, Judy Kuhn was in the show. And, oh, wow. um, uh, yeah, and, and Tony Yazbek was in oh. the show. And uh, Jess Malasky. Yeah. And, I mean, I could go through what it. What a great cast. Oh, 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 oh. It was amazing. Oh, wait, of course. I know exactly what you're talking about. We just had interviewed Tony last week. And you guys did this at Signature in D.C. Yes. Yes. Okay. And, Not Signature And here. Tony was my son. Yeah. And Judy was my daughter. And Jess was my daughter. And everyone goes, how did that work? Brilliantly, thank yeah. you. It was pretty <laughs> awesome. Um, but I remember there is a moment in the play where the father loses his daughter. And um, he has this big breakdown. Um, because he's a son of a bitch, and he's finally coming to terms with how he's treated his children. And this particular night, usually it was dead silence, and then we moved on. And it was structured so that we would just, it would finish, but life moves on. And I remember this particular night, the audience applauded. And it so surprised me and took me off guard, I literally just yelled. I let out a guttural scream. Wow, that must have been terrifying. I probably think it was and not in the right way. Yeah. 
I was so I, – I, I, I was out of control for a minute and I – and Tina Landau, who directed it, said to me after the show, you know, Mark, you cannot get mad at people for responding genuinely. She said, you know, there's no button there. We never wanted a button and we've designed it structurally so that it doesn't button. But if the audience needs release, you have to give it to them. God, that's so interesting. It is interesting because it's almost the opposite of what we're used to where we button something to, like, let them know they should applaud now. Yeah. You must experience that all the time in Hand to God. Mike, producer Mike, came up with this brilliant question. Do you guys have a night, or do you ever have a, a night where you just see that the audience isn't along for the ride with you? No. There's never been a night that I've been out there that the audience hasn't been along with the ride. How they decide to get on the ride is uh-huh. their business, and it's different every night. I've never been in a show where the response is completely different night to night. So, right. And that's a great lesson because I never know how they're going to respond. I certainly don't know how they're going to respond to me because I'm so – I cut across the grain in right. such a, in a strange way in the play. Um, I'm much, I, you know, It's subtle and it's weird, and so I get these rolls – of response as opposed to like these punches of response. So I never know how they're going to respond. Some nights, you know, when when it's Geneva and I out there, um, they don't shut up. Some nights there's not a sound. Uh, and, and it's not my responsibility or my job, quite frankly, to worry about that. The right. audience has their job. They have their work to do. We have ours and we have to stay committed. But once we're into that second act, everyone's on the ride. I've never felt an audience not there. Like you said, now, there are going to be people, there will be people here and there that may not get on it, and there are people that will walk out. Yeah. There are people that will walk out, and they should. But go back and see it a second time, because, uh, you know. Maybe. uh, (laughs) It's really worth it. Or walk out, but feel what you're feeling, and really ask yourself why. I mean, even when we were doing sycamore trees down at the Signature, I remember... Uh, uh, you know, a woman one night just in a huff walked out of the play. And Eric Schaefer, the artistic director of the theater, went after her just to say, you know, are, are you okay? I, I mean, and she was like, how can you put this on the stage? What was she, was it the, the gay content? No. She had lost, uh, well, I think she had lost a son or a daughter to uh-huh. AIDS. Uh-huh. And she just didn't want to deal with it. She just did not want to be up against it. And I think that that was her response. Like, how? why are you doing this? Why Why right. are you bringing this kind of pain to other people? Yeah. You know, and, um, you know, especially with this man who just doesn't know even how to deal with who his son is and or his own feeling. It was just, it was a complicated tough. piece, man. It was yeah. really, really tough. Beautiful. But then people should walk out. But I think it's important. Those moments are important, and we have to risk those moments. Any, any person that is artist or creative or has a story has to, in my opinion, to not risk those moments. It's like, you know, it was just on Ben Affleck. You know, he did the Ancestry.com thing, and he found out that he had right. ancestors that owned I slaves. Read that. And he didn't want anyone to talk about it. I'm like, no. Talk about it. Yeah. It's okay. You're not responsible. Right. That seems very strange. That's to a me. part of your family. Like, how do you feel about that? It's okay if you're embarrassed. Just say, I'm deeply embarrassed by this, or I'm wildly angry about this, or 
I didn't know this was in my family. It made me, though, actually want to go and find out more about my own family. Sure. Because I'm like, none of us are perfect and none of us come from pure stock. Right. I mean, but that's what makes us who we are. I, I remember when I saw, here's a perfect example, Saving Private Ryan. There's that horrible, horrible, horrible scene where the German soldier is about to kill the Jewish. Yeah. Now, sorry, I'm Jewish, so I relate very strongly to that. I lost a lot of family in that war. And that scene was so specific about watching that character die. And it was so slow. Mm -hmm. And it, I can't watch it. Yeah, I, I know what you mean. And every time that movie is on, I actually will watch up to a point and then stop because I can't. I don't know. It affects me that way. Yeah. I think if I saw it in a movie theater, I would have probably walked out of it because I personally couldn't take that. Um, and it affects me the same way every time, every time, and I don't watch it. And one of these days, I need to sit and really watch it again. Yeah. Um, but should it be in the film? Of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Right. I mean, you know, it's the hard stuff that we've got to um, put ourselves in front of. I know you have a million interviews you have to do today, so I'm wondering if we could end on a a story that I read. I hope you won't mind telling it. Tell me. Um, It's from early in your career, and I think it would be valuable to our listeners. Sure. Because you're a great star and a great talent, but everyone's got to start somewhere. Hmm. And it was a story that you you told somebody about when you were doing Gaston on Broadway and what your dresser said to you. Oh, no, it's true. Will you tell that story? Yeah. So, um... (laughs) I did not, I was not a singer when I started in this business. When I was training, I was trained, excuse me, very classically on Shakespeare and Shaw and Ibsen and and Williams was really my fort. When I came to New York, I worked off Broadway and plays um, and I wanted to get into musicals, but all the casting directors were like, Mark, why do you want to be in a musical? Like you're an actor. Right. And I was like, because I think they look really cool and I've got (laughs) friends in them. And I mean, there's a lot of reasons. So I started in, and, you know, I got Bye Bye Birdie on the national tour, and that really put me on the map. Did I know how to sing? No. But I was able to get through it, and the way that I played Birdie was why I got hired. Blah, 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 moving on. Um, I'm cast as Gaston. I'm on Broadway with it. And one night, I'm in the dressing room, and, you know, I literally have to be sewn into my costume. Uh And my dresser, Eric, who was an uh, ex-bass at the Metropolitan Opera, is a dresser now. And he's dressing me, and it's just one day he says to me, Mark, you have such a beautiful voice. And I was like, oh, thanks, dude. I appreciate that. (laughs) And then he said, it's too bad you only use about 25% of it. Now, of course, there's nothing more personal to an actor than when you talk about their singing voice. There's really nothing more personal. And in my mind, I'm thinking, listen, Mother. You can swear here. Oh, great. <laughs> Who the fuck do you think you're talking to? But what came out of my mouth was, then what do I do? Because there was some part of my brain that knew what he was saying, and I would been, I was hunting for it too. And in that moment, right before going out to, to do the show, and he smiled at me, and he said, that was the right answer. Oh. And he gave me a card to his voice teacher, who was my voice teacher for 10 years, this guy, Alan Seal. I worked with Alan once, and what I learned in that one lesson, I walked out of that room going, I cannot believe the sound that was just coming out of me. So then I started to apply it as much as I could in the show. 
About five or six days later, the stage manager, Jim, pulls me aside and he sits me down in my dressing room. I think it was between shows on a Saturday and said, so what's with the new voice? <laughs> and I said, I found this guy. Uh, he's, I just, I, it's, and, and he was like, you know, you weren't hired sounding like that. And I was like, I know, but I'm going to keep doing it. <laughs> and he said to me, can you do it without hurting yourself? And I said, yeah. Yes, I'm not hurting myself. This is actually much better. And he said, okay, let me keep a watch on it. And he was right. I mean, you know. But then I remember Beth Fowler going, when did you become Alfred Drake? <laughs> but it was just this wonderful. So then I worked with Alan for 10 years after that operatically. And I just worked on, you know, as much of that material as I could. And, and it, it, Alan was the one that helped me find what my voice really is. It's a, a great story of, like, saying yes and. You, you know? have to. And Listen, like, man, my first three years in New York City, I was with an improv group down in the village, yeah. New York Talk, down at the Village Gate. And that was the best training I ever had. It's yes and. You know, who cares where the best ideas come from? Right. You can take those things and steal them and call them your own. If it's the best idea, who cares? You don't have to have all the answers. That's why you want a village of very smart people. Because then you'll find that's the best, most wonderful thing about collaborating. You will find the best answer together. You may not know where it's coming from. Fine. It's not all on you. Just get in there and bang around and it will all rise to the top. And if you do that and then listen to the audience and listen, that's the biggest thing, you're going to get your answers. You're going to get what you need and you're going to get what everybody wants. And then it's a community shared experience because that's what the theater is. Mark Kudish, I like you so much. Oh, <laughs> thank you for being such a gentleman and through this whole process and just oh, being man. such a great star. But this, is, and... this is great. It's great to be able to really have a conversation about what it is that we do and remind ourselves why we want to do it. Yeah. I really appreciate you being here. This has been, like I said, a journey, and it's been great to take it with you. I hope this isn't the last time we get to talk to you. No, we will have a lot more to talk about. I look forward to it. And, hey, good luck with the Tony season coming up. I'm sure you guys are going to be very well represented. Um, You know what? The award is already there. doesn't matter. I know. But seriously, the award is we're on Broadway. Hand to God is on Broadway. Yes. Hand to God is succeeding on Broadway. Go see it twice, you guys. I did. (laughs) Hey, theater people. So we wanted to take a few minutes to highlight a truly original production of Spring Awakening that's being presented in Los Angeles by the Deaf West Theater. The production co-stars Broadway favorites Krista Rodriguez and Andy Mientes and our friend Alex Boniello, who has started the national tour of American Idiot, and the Lin-Manuel Miranda mini-musical 21 Chump Street that we've talked about a bunch of times on the show. I read a piece on BuzzFeed by Louis Peitzman about how unique and special this Deaf West production is, so when Alex reached out to me and asked if we could showcase the show in any way, I said absolutely. I thought we could do a little interview with Alex and Krista and Andy, but since we do our interviews in person and I'm in New York and they're in LA, I asked Alex if he'd moderate the conversation himself. He said sure, so I wrote up some questions and sent them along. Not only did he masterfully lead this conversation, he also did the sound engineering and editing of the piece we're about to play. So thanks, Alex, and take it away. Now it's recording. Now you can go. Hi, I'm Krista Rodriguez, and I play Ilsa. I'm Andy Mientes. I play Hanshin. And I'm Alex Boniello, and I'm playing the voice of Moritz as well as guitars. So the first question, 
Can one of us speak a little bit about Deaf West, the community the theater serves, and how their productions are different from a typical staging of a show? I'm going to make Andy answer yeah, that. Andy, Andy, Andy. Yeah, um, so Deaf West is a company that's been around for quite a while, um, and I feel like they've really pioneered this style of performing shows uh, designed for audiences with any level of hearing, from totally deaf to hard of hearing to totally hearing. Um, so the productions are staged simultaneously in spoken and sung English and American Sign Language, um, married with projections for uh, instances where neither of those is appropriate. Um, and so uh, it differs from production in that no matter what senses you come to the table with, um, you are able to hopefully enjoy it uh, in, in the exact same way, that it's the same experience for a deaf person, a hard of hearing person, or a hearing person. Um, so there's a lot of unique challenges with the casting, with the staging, with the way the actors cue each other um, to make sure that we're all um, telling the story together. Um, but I think that what's cool about this production in particular is that the message remains totally uh, the same and I think is even strengthened by that. It really still feels like Spring Awakening, just with this new um, device attached to it. Uh, Krista and Andy, can you speak a bit about the process of learning sign language in order to sign along with your dialogue? Do you find it to be an opportunity to be even more expressive with your words? Um, in some ways, it was almost, uh, I had to give myself permission to be that expressive because you almost feel like you're what I call schmacting because you're gesturing with every word that you say, but you're actually, you know, using it to punctuate what you're saying. Um, it was really helpful to me in the beginning to just sign the scenes completely or just speak them so you know how you would you would communicate with somebody else um, if they were hearing or not hearing if you were hearing or not hearing so uh, yes it's been very difficult to learn in some ways especially because um, ASL isn't like a word-for-word -word trans translation of English and and because the English in this show is so rich and sort of antiquated in some ways so sometimes you're speaking something that you're not signing at all, and you have to know what you're saying in sign and speak. So that's been a little bit challenging. But um, but yeah, it is. It's beautiful to get to do and to watch and to experience. You feel just like all of a sudden you know how to express yourself in a different way. It's freeing. Alex, can you talk? <laughs> <laughs> Alex, can you talk a bit about how? Uh, what you're doing is a little different. The experience of being the voice for a deaf actor. How do you rehearse that? Yeah, it's uh, it's been very interesting so far. So we have uh, a brilliant, brilliant, brilliant deaf actor uh, by the name of Daniel Durant, who you should all look up, uh, who is playing the role of Moritz. And in our production, we're doing something that, you know, I don't want to spoil too much, but it's it's a really interesting way to show how their voice would come through if, if, you know, if this person had one, because in our production, uh, the character of Moritz is actually deaf. It's not some sort of like theater conceit or anything like that. Um, so, you know, we started by Daniel and I sitting down together and going over the script. He showed me the signs for what the lines were. So I had to like learn as best as I could what the, you know, big words and things like that were so that I'd know how to be on track with him. Um, and, you know, as we did that more and more, we kind of developed this relationship where I know how to follow him and I'm, I'm kind of getting a sense of what his acting choices are. And then I'm helping him fill out the role by using my voice to just make everything come together so that the hearing audience is getting the same experience as the deaf audience and vice versa. And it's, uh, it's been very, very special. And, you know, on top of 
on top of all the scene work and the singing that I'm doing in the show, I'm also playing guitar in the onstage band. So it's been a whole crazy experience, and it's it's been pretty incredible so far. So Krista, mm-hmm. having been a part of the original Broadway production, have you... <laughs> have you learned anything new about the show by being a part of this production? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, well, the fact that the characters in the show are deaf and not just, like you said, a theatrical conceit uh, has added a new layer to it that uh, is more touching and more heartbreaking in ways where you're watching people struggle to communicate and and people who are afraid to communicate with those people. You, you know that that happens with hearing people with parents and children and parents are afraid to talk to their kids about things that make them uncomfortable. Now we have this added layer of people who are, are afraid or think less of somebody else or think it as a weakness because they can't communicate in the same way. So, um, I think it's really beautiful to watch that come about. And I think some of it, some of, uh, somebody told me who saw it downtown that for fans of Spring Awakening, it's still extremely satisfying, but for people who are new to it, it's almost uh, the only way they could fathom it happening. And finally, if you could only choose one word to describe what your experience has been like so far, what word would you choose and why? <clears throat> um, <laughs> as as corny as this is, I'm going to say, Awakening. Mm-hmm. Um, hey, I'll kill you because um, I say that because I did not know any deaf people before starting work on this production, and now I have many deaf friends, and I've learned so much about this whole community that is really sadly sort of invisible, I think, to hearing people because uh, the hearing world doesn't make um, the right considerations to make um, our world as accessible as it should be, and so. I think that the deaf community um, becomes very sort of like specialized and, and um, secluded, you know, um, uh, which is a shame um, for, you know, many obvious reasons. Um, so I've learned so much more than I ever, ever knew about that community and about these people and about how their language works, how it differs from ours um, and how with just, you know, a little bit of, of patience and, um, and care we can create art together and that's really unbelievable. Um, and I'm sure it's true of lots of different cultures. It's really opened my eyes about, um, just taking a second to, to really hear people. Um, you know, um, so it has opened my eyes in that way. Wow. I think that's good enough too. I don't even know how to follow that up. Uh, well, thank you for having us. And if you are in the Los Angeles area, please, please, please come see us. Uh, we're at the Wallace Annenberg Center for the Performing Arts, uh, running from May 21st to June 7th in Los Angeles, California. Yeah. Come on by. Yes. We'll probably never get to play these roles again. I know. So Last if you chance. ever wanted to see it, this is the time. Theater People is produced by Mike Jensen and me, Patrick Hines. I edited this episode. Special thanks, as always, to Steve Tipton, Bradley Bean, Ellen Marsh, and the staff at Oswald's. A super-duper big thanks this week to Lisa Goldberg of Lisa Goldberg PR, who takes just amazing care of her clients and who has always been so good to our show. We'll be back in two weeks. Until then, tell your friends about us. Let's get the theater community talking. Living, bitch, I, I...